Welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. This podcast is an audio journal of my guests and I's adventures throughout the live and local music biz. Fun conversations, cool tunes, and good times will be had. My name is Mark Sterry, and I'm a 15-plus year veteran of the Twin Cities, Minnesota metro music scene. Check me out at Mark Sterry, that's S-T-A-R-Y, music.net. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. My new album, White Knuckle Life, as well as my other original records are available for download on iTunes, CD Baby, etc. This podcast drops every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. If you enjoy it, please subscribe on iTunes. It's totally free and guarantees you'll never miss an episode. Also, consider helping get the word out in the street via social media, five-star rating and review on iTunes, word of mouth, etc. Happy Thought of the Day is by Cody Canada of Cross-Canadian Ragweed. Once upon a time, you had it all. You let everybody down. You're always 17 in your hometown. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Enjoy! Welcome back to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast, episode 31. Last week's gigs wrap up. Wednesday, I played a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota. Still a little cool out to kick off the patio season, but people are still coming down and signing up for the Vegas trip giveaway. Friday, I played a solo show at the Nova in Hudson, Wisconsin. It was a nice dinner crowd, and thanks to all the folks that stop out there each month and support live and local music. Saturday, I wandered on down to Hangar City, Wisconsin, and rocked out at Brad Smith's famous Harbor Bar. Again, it was still too cold to fire up the famous sound truck, but it was still refreshing to play there anyway. Upcoming shows. Excited to be spending most of this week in Colorado for a short vacation. But we'll be back for Friday, May 20th, 2016. Mr. Brian Keith Johnson and myself will be jamming at Lucky's 13 in Plymouth, Minnesota from 4 to 7 p.m. Saturday, May 21st, 2016. Brian Keith Johnson and myself will be rocking and rolling our way back up to Breezy Point, Minnesota to cover a show for Soup Bones that we're unable to do the date. And we are excited to rock out at JJ's Pub at Commander Bar for all our friends up there. We play from 5 to 9 p.m. Sunday, I'm excited to announce that I'll be heading down to Chicago, Illinois to interview one of my favorite musicians ever. Mr. Sugar Blue is going to be on the Mark Stereo Music Podcast. Stay tuned! Guest this week is the successful and popular Texas-slash-Minnesota rocker Mary Cutrafello. We discuss Red Dirt Country, her major label record deal, Chicken Pickin', Move into the Twin Cities, etc. Enjoy the conversation. Mary Cutrafello. That's me. Welcome to the Mark Sterry <laughs> Music Podcast. How have you been? I've been good, man. Really uh, good. We are here at Skinner's Pub and Eatery in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, it is a beautiful summer day outside. Uh, sit enjoying. Mary has a beer. I got a Diet Coke. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know what I was thinking there. <laughs> That'll either. change very, very soon. <laughs> We're sitting amongst all the cool Frank Sinatra pictures and the old uh, music pictures while folks are playing 
hearts or something around us, so it's a good ambiance to yes. cut a music podcast. Anyway, I asked uh, uh, Mary how to pronounce her last name. I always thought it was Coutrefellow, but you were saying... Well, yeah, it's uh, a lot of people say Coutrefellow because um, uh, when I, I, I grew up saying Coutrefellow, okay. which, of course, is an Americanization of the Sicilian Coutrefellow. Cool. Yeah, so uh, I guess originally, originally... It's Coutru with the Italian U, but um, my family grew up saying Coutrefella. When I moved to Texas, uh, people down there just, they couldn't pronounce it. Or they would say country fellow, or I got a lot of that. (laughs) And and so finally, just to kind of make it easier on people, I started saying Coutrefella. So the longer people know me, the more likely they are to have heard it Coutrefella, because that was was how it was pronounced in my, my heyday. Yeah, that's what I think when I asked Dan Neal how to say your last name, he mm-hmm. said Coutrefellow. That's what I've always thought it was. But yeah. You respond to either. I, it, it really doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, mine's starry, you know. starry, whatever. I don't really. I used to get fussy about it, but now I don't care. No, so. well, especially I've got I've got a twenty plus year legacy of Coutrefellow. Yeah. And and it is technically more correct. Okay. You know, and but then I've got you know my 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 family history of Coutrefellow, and it's just, it's all fine. I suppose if you did the Italian pronunciation, it'd take up half a CD cover, all the, all the <laughs> inflections I'd actually say. Cutrofello. Right. Okay. Uh, well, Mary, it's, it's great to see you, and thanks for sitting down for the podcast. Um, the first time I met you, I was playing a show in White Bear Lake at Ingredients. Oh, yeah. And you came in and listened, and I remember I BSed with you about a bunch of these Texas country artists I was covering at the time. It's probably 10 years uh, yeah, ago. Yeah, I remember that. And it was one, why I bring it up is because one of the coolest tips I've ever had. Like I set out a tip jar and stuff, and you tip me an order of calamari. <laughs> that's awesome. I don't remember that, but that's... Order of calam- calamari, whatever. <laughs> I'd never had it before. That's probably why, because uh, I, I love that. That was awesome, and it was great. <laughs> and I'd never eaten anything like that before. Now, since I've been a little more... Uh, into eating different stuff, but I remember right. the next time I went to Ingredients, yeah. I ordered some for my dad, yeah. and then drove it like an hour, two hours home to give it to him, <laughs> oh and it, my was, goodness. it wasn't as good a second time around. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, how, what's what you had going on lately? What's going on? Well, um, I am. I my last record came out in 2014. It was called Faithless World, and um, and I've just you know, I've been. Just playing on that, basically, um, and I—I uh, I, I don't play a whole lot here in the cities uh, these days. But I get out to—I get to Idaho, I get to Italy, I get to Texas. Um, you know, sometimes people fly me places. Uh, so I'm kind of—you know—I just—I just kind of keep my hand in, but I'm not—I'm not really going after it full bore like I did in the old days. Okay, I've been actually been listening to the song "Worthy Girl." Uh-huh. All morning, uh, off that 2014 record. That's a great song. Oh, thank you. Very Texas you. country influence. It sounds yeah. like a cross Canadian ragweed song. Yeah, yeah. With that that eighth note bass line, that was yeah. definitely what I was what I because you it's know it's very cross Canadian. It's, it's very yeah. It's very it really show, it shows its Texas roots and it's it's funny because I never wrote in that that kind of eighth note style. Yeah. And and then I had this this thing working with that. You know, play in that guitar, and it's like, man, that sounds yeah. It's like, it's like that sounds like Mickey in the Motor Cars. It's a long road to nowhere with a million miles to go. I reach for you. 
you know? Oh. I lo- that's what we got to talk about some of this stuff. <laughs> For folks, the listeners here, um, I'm definitely going to tag and try to promote this to some of my Texas country fans because for people that don't know who cross-Canadian ragweed is, wouldn't you say they're kind of one of the, definitely the Mount Rushmore of modern Texas country or red dirt country stuff. Uh, They kind of look like the band Megadeth when I first saw (laughs) it, and they play kind of these Willie Nelson-ish songwriting stuff, yet rock and roll. How would you describe that kind of genre? Yeah, I would say, I mean, cross-Canadian particulars kind of more on the rock side yeah. than some of the other, you know, like uh, like your Jason Boland and the stragglers kind of, okay. you know, that, that owe a little bit more of a debt to the Outlaws than than to, well, the Outlaws, the Southern Rock Band. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they uh, they were as good as it got, and they're super nice guys, and what I always loved about them was, man, they were on the merch thing before any of us were. Any of us in that in that generation, they always had a merch table and a guy that that was his job. You know, like it wasn't like Jeremy, the bass player, would like stand there after the show. It's like they had a guy who had absolutely a, who had like a road case full of merch, like from day one. Like Cross, you're know? talking about, yeah, and oh, and um, koozies, every bottle and, and all kinds of stuff, and it all looked cool. They used that cotton belt route logo and it's a great and, logo, yeah, and and I just remember going, wow, you know, because they were just a band. Just, Four guys from Oklahoma, you know, just yep. and, and boys from Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah, them boys from Oklahoma, they jumps all wrong. They're too damn skinny, way too long. Well, I ain't a holy roller, so I just use a bomb. Them boys from Oklahoma, they jumps all wrong. And they, you know, and and they were and they were good. They were always good, but man, the merch thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, and then, then like, everybody, you know, you, you went to a, a, a gig. There's always somebody had had a CCR shirt on yep. or a, a hat or whatever it was. And it's like, I just, you know, I just remember, man, because I, I had a box of T-shirts that I didn't even bring to the gigs half the time because it was just a pain, you know. And I'm just like, I don't want to deal with this, you know. It's like, I don't even want your $15 with a stupid shirt, you know. And, and it was like... And then you know, then to watch them do that thing, and it's you know, it's 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 the the hustle, and the dedication, and just being willing to lug the damn shirts around. So. Yeah, what would you? What's your favorite cross Canadian ragweed songs? Um, I still like Seventeen. Once upon a time, you had it all. You let everybody down. You're always 17 in your hometown. I do too. You know, it's just, it's got, um, it tells such a great story and it's, it's true. It's like something everybody can relate to. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, you know, I, I hope, I hope Cody still likes playing that song. Cause it's like, that's one that'll speak to a lot of, you know, it'll speak to your, your Speak to you, and then it'll speak to your kids. Yeah, you know. I think they're. 20, I think he's playing with his new band, The Departed, coming mm-hmm. up here pretty soon in the cities. Um, do you know those guys personally? I, a little bit, not not as well as I know some of the other guys down there. Okay. Um, um so you're rich. Are you originally from what's it, New England? Yeah, from Connecticut. From Connecticut. How did you wind up in that Texas music scene? I guess we'll start there. Sure. Well, um, I I kind of fell in love with the music in college. 
But I went to college in Connecticut too, and um, at Yale. That would be correct. Wow. Yeah, it was it was good, um, but it was it was like 1990. And in 1991 is when I graduated, and so 89, 90, I kind of like got into this. But even at a great research university like Yale, um, there was only so much you could do uh, as far as discovering music, mm-hmm. you know, from that far away from where it was coming from, you know, and hit the <clears throat> hit the used record stores and I read all the books I could. But it, it was just, it's not like today, you know, and it's hard it's hard to remember. You know, or to tell younger folks about a time when it's like, here I am at one of the, the greatest research institutions in the world, and I have an easier time doing research today on my phone. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so I got out of school, and I said, man, I decided I was going to play music for a living, and I said, i got to go where this is coming from, you know? And it was between there and Nashville, and it seemed like um, a Nashville country in the early 90s was not... It was, was 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 good. It was yeah. you know there was there was good stuff coming out of there. So that was, you know, I thought about it, but it seemed like there was more work in Texas. Yeah, that the culture was more about bands playing and um, and and just work for musicians, and that's that's why I picked Texas, and I, I think I made the right choice. Oh, absolutely. I wish I would have discovered that a little younger too. <laughs> So who are some of your other artists you worked with down there or you were influenced by in that scene? Um, when I first got down there, this was in the summer of 91, so you had uh, Two Hoots and a Holler were still going. Chris Dorte was still living down there. Um, Kelly Willis was, I think, on her first or second MCA record. Um, Did you ever run into Pat Green down there? Oh, yeah. Um... I forget when Pat got there. It was right around the same. We're all kind of around the same age. And Dale Watson got came back from California a couple of years after I got there. But of course, he's from Pasadena, Texas. Okay. So he was, you know, already washed in the blood. Oh, I lie when I drink, and I drink a lot. Don't believe me when I've had a few. Um, Chris Wall. Um, had moved down there a couple years before me, I think, in 88 or 89. Uh, he was doing his thing at the Broken Spoke, which was more of a Texas which a Texas dance hall. Okay. Um, which means, you know, fiddle and steel and making them dance for four hours, which I was not prepared to do when I got there. It was more of, more of a continental club kind of, you know. So did you just go down there? Did you have family or friends down there? You just went no. down there and dove into the scene? Yeah, I just wanted to see. I just wanted to see where it went, you know? Nice. Um, so you just started writing songs or co-writing down there, just hopping on some gigs? Or? Yeah, I, I just, I, I, I booked gigs and put a band together uh, and, and started writing songs. And, you know, I, I, worked, uh, I worked for National Instruments, which is a software company um it's a little bit before i think austin became like the tech mecca that it is now but that and i was a pretty big deal at the time and and um i worked for them for like a year maybe a year and a half and then i had gotten to the point where i was making enough money playing that that's i I got out of that and that was all i did for about 15 years nice so how did you wind up here 
In the Twin Cities. In the Twin Cities? Or at Skinner's. No, you walked. Well, I walked, right. Um, I, I, I came through here on the road. I was, in 1998, I had a record out on Mercury called When the Night is Through, and um, I got to tour all summer in the summer of 99. I mean, the tour started, the record came out in August of 98, and we toured all fall. And then um, we toured again the, the following summer, and um, I played Heart and Soul. Mick Sterling's old festival. Yep. And it was just a, um, it was a, it was a, it might even have been a fly date. I don't remember, but, um, I just, I met so many cool people at that show. I mean, everybody in town is, you know, in one band or another on, on that. Yeah. You know, and, and so I met, yeah, Mark Licktig and, and Johnny Lang and they're just like all kinds of just, the, you know, the usual suspects of, okay. of like circa 1998. 99 and um and Wayne McFarland of course um very cool yeah and and I just had a great time and I got some phone numbers and at the end of that summer I was just the major label thing had run its course and I was just looking for a different look you know and I'd been in Texas for 10 years I'd kind of done what I'd set out to do and just just want a different you know just a, just a, a fresh fresh set of everything cool and this was my favorite place passing through you know I'd, I'd i'd played the 400 bar i'd played the caboose and that heart and soul thing i think that was yeah as far as i remember those were the my each time i came in i played like someplace cool you know and, and um and so i i made some phone calls and i i kept my my place down there but i just i came up here and for about two years i was about half and half Wow. Between Texas and, and it's right up you know, it's right up thirty five, you know. Yeah, so, heck yeah, I just drove down there a few weeks ago. WrestleMania thirty two. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean it was it was um I just fell in love with like the the Midwestern thing, you know. It's it's uh it's its own it's a, it's not it's northern but it's not the east coast, you know. Yeah. It's it's um it's got its own vibe to it and people are just you know, they say people are shut down up here, but I don't. I didn't really experience that. I thought they were just. And maybe that's my, maybe that's my northern background showing that I. You know, they. I thought they were, the people here are appropriately outgoing. Cool. You know, where sometimes Texans can be a little over the top. <laughs> <laughs> but again, that could be just that I. 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 I I like a little bit more of a shutdown thing. <laughs> yeah. So we talked a little bit about uh, some of the Texas bands you knew and worked with. Is there any bands out of the Twin Cities you're a big fan of? Um, or have been or influential over you at all? I love what Hensley does with... Um, the songwriter deal. Well, Nick Hensley in uh, was it Love Songs for Angry Men. Yeah. Shoot my head a lot of Um, I like his original stuff a lot. I I feel like he doesn't get to play it as much as he wants to, but I, mm-hmm. you know, but he's 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 working for a living at it too, so I under I understand that. Um, and uh, he's I and, yeah, the thing that he does on Sunday nights at, at Plums is great. I go down there and it's. It's not close enough to my house that I can walk, but it's it's borderline. It's, it's, though it's, we are on I, it's, it would be it would it is on Randolph. It's further down. It would be a bike ride. Yeah, um, 
So, because I don't want to do that. At, I don't want to come home at, on, on my bike at, you know, 1 o'clock on a Monday morning. But It's dangerous living too close to plums, I think. <laughs> it can be. <laughs> you want to live just outside that window, so it's just a little right, bit of a right. exercise to get there. Exactly. you got to jump over some kind of hurdle to get there. <laughs> um, any other bands you've worked with around the cities you enjoy? Didn't you used to, you open for GB Layton a lot, don't you? Um, I know those guys pretty well. I knew the the iteration of his band from last year pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brett Lacoste and that that group with um, Ryan Inselman. And yeah, so we we did some shows together. It was a good match. Um and I haven't I haven't seen him since that since his latest okay you know turnover so I don't I don't know I've always been a big fan of your guitar playing oh thank you is it kind of a mix between like Texas blues and country chicken picking and just badass sounding no oh, thanks and watching your old YouTube stuff it seems like it has been for a long time mm-hmm. I hadn't seen you play in a million years till we were playing that beach thing. At that hotel a couple of years ago. Oh wasn't yeah, it? yeah. And uh, I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> so, what are your guitar influences? That's a g- very, very cool, unique sound you have. No, thank you, thank you. It's um, you know, I grew up on classic rock, like everybody in in the in the eighties, seventies, and eighties. So, my first guitar heroes were the normal, you know, Clapton, Beck, and Page kind of. Yeah. And. Um, I had a revelation with um, the Almond Brothers song "Blue Sky." Somewhere along the line in in high school, Um, and it was like, well, here he is. He's playing his pentatonic scale but he's not starting on the one, you know? He's starting on the six, and, and which, which takes it from the bluesy thing to that more major scale thing that Dickie Betts does. And um, I was, and it, it blew me away that it was, it sounded like I wanted to sound, and it wasn't, and it was, it was just the same thing that I've been doing all along, just in a different place on the neck, you know? Okay. And, um, Do you use a pick? Yeah, and, and a pick and, and two fingers. Wow. The middle, middle two fingers. I've never been able to do that. That was... Either pick or finger pick. I can't do that in between. Oh, man. That was... Um, I worked a long time to be able to do that. I, I, I started just with a pick, like everybody does, I guess, with an electric guitar. And um, and you're a tele person, right? You like Telecasters? Yeah, yeah. But Why? Because the country sound? Or the country thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they I had look a... cool, too. They do. I had, a, I had a Strat when I was in high school, and... You know, when I got into the country thing, I obviously had to get a, a telly. But um, the picking two fingers thing I learned in college. Um, kind of right before, I'm like my junior or senior year, I was getting ready to, and I decided I was going to go to Texas, you know. And, and um, I bought a book. It's the only how to play guitar book I ever bought outside of the Mel Bay books when I was nine. Uh-huh. But, um, and it was Arlen Roth's Nashville Guitar. And he explained the pick and two fingers thing and, and how to do it and why to do it. And, um, you know, if you just play with a pick, your, your right hand isn't really developed no. at all. I mean, you just, you're just doing this one motion, right? Just waiting at carpal tunnel with your wrist. Well, yeah. yeah. But, um, so there was, and, but the, and the pick and two fingers technique, or three fingers, a lot of guys, but my 
I, I found I had plenty to say with just the, the two. I didn't need to bring my pinky into it, but um, it was. I mean, there's there's a fair amount of technique involved, and and it, eventually your right hand gets almost as developed as your left, in terms of its dexterity and the things that it can do. And and so, you know, my my left hand had a ten year head start, so I worked hard on my right hand for like a year, year and a half. Okay. Out of mostly out of that book, but then at that point point I discovered Pete Anderson's playing with Dwight Yoakam. Yeah, I hear that in there. Yeah, yep. you hear that a lot, and um, and so learning that stuff, I learned a lot of that pick and two finger. And now it's like second nature, but it it was it was a hard it was a hard thing to learn. I had to really, you know, I had to really be dead. I really had to be dedicated to learning because it, it did not come easily. Okay, wow. Anyway, love your guitar style. Thanks. What kind of acoustic do you play? Um, I just bought a Guild D50. Oh, geez, and you I are love hardcore. It. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Um, prior to that, I've been playing with a little uh, Martin Triple Aught CXE, the composite one, uh, that had I'd, I'd been all over the world with me. And before that, I had a, a, a custom one that a guy down in, in Texas built for me. And that was the one I had during the the Texas days and the major label days and, and, and everything. But that guitar had a complete freak out when I moved it up here. Um to the point where it, it, it hangs on my wall now, but it, it, I can't even string it up anymore, which makes me sad because it had a really unique sound and it played great and it was just kind of fit to, to me. It was custom made for me and it just fit my body and fit my style. And, oh, that's and, awesome. And so it's, it has a place of honor, but unfortunately I can't play it anymore. Oh. Yeah. So, Mary, this podcast is about a half hour long. Do you mind doing a part two? This is a lot of fun. Have we been speaking for half an hour already? It's, yeah, it's, we just it's almost started. gone. Yeah, so I got some <laughs> other questions I was going to ask yeah, you if that's okay. of course. Uh, but every week I do a story behind the song segment. Okay. Since we mentioned it, it should we talk about that Worthy Girl song? Sure. Come to ask you the story behind that song, uh, what inspired you. or what, It's off your 2014 record. I got it written down. What's the name of the record? <laughs> Faithless World. But I couldn't find it on iTunes. Uh, I couldn't download that one on iTunes. Your other stuff was on there, but I could not find that record on iTunes. Yeah, that's because I am lazy about that sort oh, of thing. Oh, whatever. <laughs> so for this week's story behind the song segment, Worthy Girl. I'll play it at the end of the show, too. But uh, what's the story behind that song? Well, it's um, uh, it's not about anybody in particular. Um, it, was, uh, it was kind of about... Um, my songwriting process, which, you know, like nobody wants to hear about your songwriting process, so it's it's not obviously and explicit, explicitly about that. Um, but it was just kind of the idea of, um, you know, feeling like it wasn't that, you know, like I've got some songs that I'm proud of, and I try, you know, and the more of them you have, the harder it is to write another one that kind of lives up to what the what your what you feel is your best work. Yeah. You know, and it and it, it sometimes it's like it it can be really confining to, you know, it's like as soon as you get something it's like, well, that's not as good as Black Maria. 
that's not as good as Sonic Girls. Why, you know, why, why am I even bothering with this? Yeah. You know? And, um, but again, nobody wants to hear about that. So I made it about like a relationship because <laughs> that more, pe- more people can relate to that. Super catchy song, though. Thank you. And where did you record that at? That was done at Greg Shooty's place. Uh, uh, bathtub Shrine. Wow, it sounded it's in, great. In, in Minneapolis. Yeah, I've, I've listened to like three, four times today. Yeah, it's a great song. Thanks. I've worked with Shooty for, this is, that was the fourth record I've done with him. And, and he, um, he really understands what I'm trying to do. And he's really turned into an amazing producer and engineer. Very and, cool. Uh, yeah. So he's and he played drums on it too, which who's already great at that. Um, so yeah, I've got a really nice setup to make records when, you know, when I've got records to make. That's awesome. Well, Mary Cutrofello, Cutrofello, yes. <laughs> I need to dump out this Diet Coke and get myself a beer. Indeed. Uh, for uh, please stick around for. Thank you for being on the Mark Steer Music My Podcast. Pleasure. And please stick around for part two. All right. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed the program. We'll see you back here for a new podcast about life and times in the live and local music scene each and every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. If you or your business are interested in advertising on this podcast, please contact me via email at Music at gmail.com. Also, if you get a chance, please go check out some live music somewhere. It could be a great and worthwhile experience. Life is short. Go have some fun. Till next time. Well, I don't want none of you loving. Can't stand you holding me tight. I ain't worthy, girl. I ain't worthy, girl. Don't think that you believe me But I don't trust nothing no more I ain't worthy, girl I ain't worthy, girl
Baby. 